Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look into your holy word that you would anoint my mouth, that I would preach your word. Father, that we would be taught from your word, that we would be exhorted, that we would be commanded, that we would be comforted, that we would be uh, built up to the glory of your son, Jesus. And so feed us on the pure spiritual milk of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. One thing before we get into this passage tonight, I want to give a little report on my time at General Assembly, which took place Monday through Thursday uh, this past week. And so um, there's there were good things, there were horrible things, there were... Um, Things I'm indifferent about. <laughs> and so, uh, but I'll, I'll fill you in on that tonight. So come back if you want to hear about uh, General Assembly. General Assembly is the, all the commissioners of all the PCA churches come together and make decisions that, um, for the whole church. And, uh, and so I'll say more about that tonight. Now this passage that I read to you is, is, one of the passages that it's almost in our culture, it's so well known. Um, we're quite familiar with it. Many of us have found great comfort in these words. Perhaps, though, the comfort we've taken from these words is misapplied. I think that car parked in the same spot this week. It's very strange. It, it's right when I start to preach. Um, anyway, we take comfort from this passage, but, but it could be misapplied. The question is, why, why are we weary? What would we be weary about or from? Um, by what are we heavy laden? Okay, so we come to this passage and we immediately think of all the things that cause us weariness or angst in this life. We, we think of illness, right? We think of those chronic diseases that afflict us. We might also think of how we've lacked work for a time. We've searched and searched and searched for work and the bills have piled up and how this is, I'm weary with this, right? We might also think of, of friends that, um, 
lost friends. You know, either they've moved away or there's been some sort of awkwardness or estrangement. And it's wearying. It's, it's, it just it causes much angst. We might think of the divorce of parents, the estrangement between mother and father. We might think of, of the more uh, traumatic events in our lives, right? Sins committed against us, the husband or the wife who has committed gross sins, adultery. Um, and all these difficulties of life do make us weary. They make us feel burdened, weighed down. But is this the weariness that, and the burden that Jesus is talking about in this passage? Well, look back at the context with me. Look back at the context of Jesus' statements. Uh, going back to verse 20, here we find that Jesus is railing on something. Maybe his most aggressive words that are recorded for us in the Gospels. He's railing on a lack of repentance. The passage says, Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So the miracles were performed not to make Jesus look good, right? He's not going around doing these things to you know, display his his awesome splendor, although that's a side effect. Rather, they're performed so that the people would do something, and that something is repent. So that as they saw his power, they would fall on their faces as Isaiah did when he beheld the glory of God. And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Then Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Chorazin and Bethsaida, the cities were hard-hearted. They saw what Jesus did, and they refused to repent. Verse 22, And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. That's a remarkable statement, isn't it? We remember what happened to Sodom. Because of the wickedness of their sin, the city was burned to the ground. It was flattened under God's almighty judgment. And Jesus says Capernaum will be worse off than Sodom. Because they beheld the works of the Son of God before their eyes and did not repent of their sins. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum have front row seats at the concert, so to speak. And while the band is playing its loudest, they say they can't hear. They have the Son of God before them, and they will not repent. So the immediate context for our passage is a lack of repentance for sin. Then... 
In verse 25 to 26, we read the following. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. So Jesus here is praising the Father for the judgment that will come upon unbelieving sinners, these cities that refuse to repent before the Son, these sophisticated cities that are called wise and intelligent. These cities can't see. They see other things. They have their prophets, their artists, their politicians, their professors. They have their pedigrees, their principles, but Jesus is hidden to them. And that pleases Jesus because it pleases his Father. Jesus then puts it point blank. The reason they do not know Jesus is because Jesus has not called them. Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. What is the meaning of that last phrase? It means no one knows the Son except those to whom the Son wills to have himself revealed. The reason the souls of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum will not repent is that Jesus has not willed it. That's our context. For those words come to me. Miracles are performed meant to bring about repentance. The people of the city do not repent. Jesus explains why they don't repent because they don't know him and they don't know him because he hasn't revealed himself to them. Then, and shockingly, then Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And just after speaking of the, the, the doctrine of election, right, and the doctrine of effectual calling, he shouts to the people of these cities who are rejecting him, come to me, come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, Right there where he says they can't come to him, he calls them to come. And certainly Jesus has particular people in mind as he demands they come to him. But think of the proximity of those two statements. You will know me if I will it. And the command, come to me. I mean, there are those this morning who know of this doctrine of election and they despise it. And they attribute perhaps their own lack of faith to God. Well, the reason I haven't come to Jesus is because he hasn't willed it. You object to Jesus saying, come to me and throw it back. You hear people say, what if I'm not among the elect? And I say, but Jesus says, come. 
And what if it's not God's will? And I say, but Jesus says, come to me. And he will give you rest. And so I ask, why will you not obey his command? Why will you not come to him? Do you hear his command? Do you hear him saying, come to me, to you this morning? The fact of the matter is this. Not one of the elect will refuse to obey Jesus' command to come. Right? Not one of the elect will, will refuse that command. I mean, you believe the weatherman is right, and he's been proven wrong every day. Right? Why will you not believe what Jesus says? Come, and he will give you rest. It's amazing to me how some can take the doctrine of election, which is supposed to comfort them, and use it as an excuse not to follow Jesus. And Jesus says to you, come to me. there, There is this also. Our love of sin, like the love of Chorazin, like the love of Bethsaida, like the love of Capernaum, our love of sin will lead many within the church to disregard Jesus' invitation. Come to me. Others object and say, well, God must do it. God must do it. All the while thinking, he better do it because I don't want to. I don't want to come to Jesus, right? I don't want to do anything. I'm not willing to love him first. I'm not willing to suffer graciously. I'm not willing to be God's slave. That kind of man just wants his sin, and the church is filled with men and women like that. They want religion, but they don't want Jesus. They want their children to have some sort of teaching, but they don't want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They want their their church society and church friends, but they don't want Jesus. They want respectability, but they don't want Jesus. They they, They come to church, but never come to Christ. And... Are you that man or that woman? Because if you're that man or that woman, Jesus commands you today to come to him. Jesus calls you to himself. He gives the command even in the shadow of the truth of the verses that he has said previous to this one, the glorious and mysterious decrees of God, he gives you this free offer to come to him. Horatio Bonar, the 19th century Scottish Presbyterian, put it like this. He he said this, We believe in Christ's redemption of his chosen church, 
We believe in the efficacy of his blood and the perfection of his righteousness. We believe in human impotence. We believe in the bondage of the human will. We believe in the enmity of the human heart to God. We believe in the sovereignty of Jehovah and his eternal purpose. We believe in the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit's work, alike before and after conversion. At the same time, we preach a free and universal gospel. We proclaim a free and worldwide invitation to sinners. We present to every sinner a gracious welcome to Christ without any preliminary qualification whatsoever. We bid no man wait till he has ascertained his own election or can produce evidence of regeneration or sufficient repentance or deep conviction. We tell every man as he is to go to the Savior this minute. Assured that he will not be cast out or sent away. Jesus says to you, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. Believe those words. Do you think that if you obey his voice and come to him, that he will scream in your face, No! He has said those who come to him will be given rest. That he who is gentle and humble will give rest. Do you think that if you obey his voice and come to him, That he will scoff and he will roll his eyes and cast insults upon you, you wretched sinner. You stupid absent father. You adulterer. You you stinking drunkard. Get out of my face. Get away from me. No, he is gentle. Trust me, he is gentle. He will not break a bruised reed. Remember these words from Isaiah, Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. It's the same thing as we read in in Matthew in our passage. And also in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. And so Jesus is calling to you. Will you hear his voice? He offers you rest. Will you come to him? Now note that that Jesus, just like in this Isaiah 55 passage, it said, those who forsake 
their wickedness. Right? Note that Jesus calls those who are weary and heavy laden. The one who comes to Jesus is the one who understands that the weariness he experiences, the weight that burdens him is one thing, and that's his sin. His sin. It's not other people's sins. It's not tough experiences. Right? It is not diseases, it's not financial distresses, it's not flunking out of school. It's much more than those things. It is the sinfulness that you were born with. It is the sinfulness that you were born with and have spent your life cultivating. It is your lusts that are destroying your marriage. It is your envy that never allows you to be at rest. It's your envy that never allows you to rejoice with those who rejoice. It is your hatred of your parents. It is the wicked thoughts that overwhelm you. It is your restless covetousness. It is sin which, if unrepented of, will land a man in hell. That's the burden. That's the weight. The only weight we bear. And a moment's reflection for us will reveal that Jesus has an endless list of sins that we have committed against him. And to those who know this, to those who grieve this burden, this heavy weight, this load, to those who despise the lies they've told even today, to those who are sick of the shameless thoughts that continually run through their heads, to those who tremble at the thought of a holy God knowing every one of those thoughts, to those ones, Jesus says, I give you rest. On the contrary, the person who will not acknowledge his or her sin will never come to Jesus. Just as Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum would and could not. The person who is hopeless is the person who feels no need to come to Jesus, no weight, no burden. The person who is not weary with sin and under the crushing weight of sin will feel no need to heed Jesus' Command here, come to me. You remember the parable. I always come back to this. You will remember the parable which contrasts the one who has no need to come to Jesus and the one who has every need to come to Jesus. Luke 18, and he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, 
Be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And unless we be... Unless we are like that tax collector, we can darken the door of the church for decades and have our religion and have our grace and never come to Jesus. Unless we acknowledge that it is our sin before God which condemns us. And not simply all the sinful things that others have done to us, the difficulties of life, until we acknowledge that this is our single burden and weight, our sin, we will not listen to Jesus' command to come to him. It will seem like a stupid and superfluous thing. Come to him. Well, I did. I guess I have. Is this not what it means to have faith? Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Jesus says, I will give you rest, and faith says, I will go to him because that's what I need. He will give me rest because, quote, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now think for a moment about what, what Job said in the midst of his trials. Job said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Jesus promises rest, but faithful Job says that I will hope in him even if he kills me. That's faith. Job apprehends that to be with God, even though God were to afflict him, even condemn him to death, is better than to serve Satan and self even for a moment, even for a single second. That is faith. Though God crush me in a moment, it is better to be there being crushed than to hear the false words of the evil one enticing my soul to hell. Though God turn my world upside down, I will hope in him. Though God take away all my earthly possessions, I will go to him. I don't want for a moment to serve Satan. I do not want for a moment to give Satan the impression that he has won me. I don't want that. I want Jesus. I want Jesus because he is the only one who can give me rest from my burden of sin. I'll put around my neck the yoke of Jesus, which is easy and light, rather than the yoke of Satan, which will weigh a man down to hell. In other words, afflict me in this life, Lord, but please take away the damnable burden of my sin. I cannot overcome it on my own. Now, it's a point worth making that when you come to Jesus, he puts a yoke on you. Calvin says, many persons, we perceive, abuse the grace of Christ. And what do you think he says next? How do they abuse it? Abuse the grace of Christ by turning it into an indulgence of the flesh. And therefore, Christ, after promising joyful rest to wretchedly distressed consciences, 
reminds them at the same time that he is the deliverer on condition of their submitting to his yoke. He does not, he tells us, absolve men from their sins in such a manner that restored to the favor of God they may sin with greater freedom, but that raised up by his grace, they may also take his yoke upon them, and that being free in spirit, they may restrain the licentiousness of their flesh. And hence we obtain a definition of that rest of which he had spoken. It is not at all intended to exempt the disciples of Christ from the warfare of the flesh, that they may enjoy themselves at their ease, but to train them under the burden of discipline and keep them under the yoke. So with the rest that Jesus offers comes a yoke. With the glorious rest that Jesus gives to those who come to him, acknowledging their sin, acknowledging their lust, acknowledging their adultery, their drunkenness, their continuous lying, their anger toward their children comes a yoke that directs them away from those things. Right, A yoke that directs us to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. A yoke that begins to direct us to holiness. Do you despise the yoke of the Lord? You like the grace part. You like the burden being undone. But you don't like that Jesus gives you a yoke. Makes you feel like a child. Actually, it makes you feel like an animal, doesn't it? He desires you to be holy as his Father is holy. He desires you to be as he is. That's not being treated like an animal. That's being treated with the most amazing dignity that anyone could be treated with. Notice that Jesus offers rest for your souls, not simply rest. Not rest for your bodies, but rest for your souls. Again, Calvin says, those who are devoted to the world set no value on heavenly life. Those who are devoted to the world want rest for their bodies. Those who are devoted to the heavenly life want rest for their souls. The thought of having rest for your soul means nothing to somebody who is fixated on this life. In fact, the one who simply craves rest for the body is not the one who understands what Jesus said when he called the weary and the heavy laden to himself, what Jesus offers is rest for the soul through forgiveness of sins. When the death of the body comes, the soul will depart the body and be with the Lord. And there in the presence of God, it will wait the resurrection of the body and the reunion of the soul with the body. But the soul will be at rest. No longer will flesh wage war against us. No longer will we be weighed down with any sort of sins. We'll be free from it to the glory of God. If it is rest for your body you want now, if it's comfort, if it is relaxing by the pool, hour after hour that you desire, this rest is not what Jesus offers. He offers rest for your soul. He offers eternal rest. This life may be filled with pain, and of course it will be. 
right? It is a fallen world filled, filled with sin and pain. A fallen world where God disciplines his children in order to sanctify them. The rest will have sorrow now, even in the midst of pain, right? But, but we look for the heavenly life. If you are weary and heavy laden in the manner that I have said, confess your sins to me or to an elder. And find rest. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Don't cling to that which will keep you from Jesus. Drop it. Drop it. Come to Jesus. Find rest for your soul. At last, rest for your soul. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the words of this gospel that these commands that Jesus gives to us. We thank you for the promise they contain of rest for our souls. Father, for those who cling to their sin, even now stubbornly, and think it greater rest to to cling to those sins than to repent and take on the yoke of Christ, I ask that you would open their eyes and soften their hearts. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would grant to all of us the joy of bearing the yoke of Jesus, knowing that we are being conformed to him and made holy as we will be holy, perfectly holy in heaven. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing. We thank you for the salvation that you give to us in Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.